What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're looking at No One Lives and Unbreakable, and at how easy it is to be blind to our own power. Let's start with Unbreakable. In Unbreakable from 2000, David Dunn is a stadium security guard who is approached by Elijah a comic book aficionado who suffers from brittle bone disease. Elijah tells David that he thinks David is a superhero. David tells Elijah that he thinks Elijah's insane. David's son Joseph, who idolizes his father, is perfectly happy to believe that his father is a superhero. But David refuses to believe it. Even though he's only been sick once in his life, has survived more than one serious accident, and finds out during an impromptu weightlifting experiment that he can somehow bench hundreds of pounds more than he thought he could. But seriously, he tells his son, there's no such thing as superheroes. I nearly drowned, he tells Elijah. I got pneumonia from it. I nearly died. Elijah tells David that drowning may be David's only weakness, like kryptonite is for Superman. Joseph tells David that there is, too, such a thing as superheroes. But seriously, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. There aren't real superheroes in the real world. Then David discovers that touching people gives him visions of their crimes. He doesn't know what to do with this at first. Who would? How does he know they really did the things he suddenly imagines after bumping into them? Even if they did do it, David can't exactly turn them in when his only evidence is, I saw it in my mind's eye when I jostled their elbow. And anyway, it's not possible. In the real world, psychic visions aren't possible. Then he bumps into someone whose crime is ongoing. The man, a janitor who had invaded a family's home and killed the father, is still holding the wife and children captive. David knows what the man has done, Right? The visions are real, right? Maybe they are, and maybe they're not. David decides it's better to follow the janitor and see what's up, rather than involve the police with his unbelievable psychic story. Once they get to the family home, David is able to free the children and subdue the janitor. He's not able to save the mother, but the children are rescued and the bad guy is eliminated. After this, David finally accepts that he has a gift, although he still avoids the superhero moniker, and he and his son bond over this shared secret. Now let's look at No One Lives, from 2012. It's a much grittier plot than Unbreakable. 
It involves an unsavory group of people in a remote setting who stumble across a man who's only ever called driver and his passengers, one of whom, Emma, is a woman that one of the unsavory group identifies as a missing heiress. One thing leads to another, mistakes are made, and driver gets sort of violent with the unsuspecting and unprepared group of robbers. At one point, we see a flashback through Emma's eyes of her stuck in a locked room. Driver comes into the room and closes the door behind him. He points out to Emma that if anything happens to him, no one will ever know she's in that room, and she'll eventually die there. He then cuts himself and starts bleeding out. Emma tries to find the key to the room, but she can't. She decides she has no choice but to save Driver's life. After he's stabilized, he tells her, You chose me. You chose this. You chose to stay. She disagrees. She says she couldn't find the key, that there wasn't a key. Driver gets up and opens the door to the little room. It had never been locked. He tells her repeatedly that she chose to stay. So what does this mean? What are the parallels between No One Lives and Unbreakable? They do share a bit of misdirection about who the real bad guys are, but that's not what concerns us here. What concerns us here is that both films point out how easy it is to convince ourselves we're powerless. David has spent his whole life surviving even the most harrowing accidents. Outside of his kryptonite, the pneumonia, he's never been sick. He's touched people before. I don't think you can live in a city and not physically bump into people from time to time. Yet somehow he's never examined the things that occur to him after these encounters. He's never interpreted his visions as visions. He's just figured they were flights of imagination. This is understandable. Without any subsequent verification that the things he sees are real, why would he assume he was having a psychic vision? But the weightlifting experiment, that's something else again. How has it escaped his attention that he could pretty much lift any amount of weight he wants to? Isn't the whole point of weight training to get stronger and stronger? To add to the amount of weight we're lifting until we can't lift any more? Yet somehow he's never noticed that his limits were far higher than those of the other weightlifters around him. It's almost as if he just assumed he had reached his maximum that he had compared himself to someone of similar size and fitness and just decided that they would probably be about the same. Even if he was competing with this similar guy, why would he keep pushing after he had beaten him? As soon as David lifted even five pounds more than the similar guy, he probably stopped. Because what else would he have to prove? How much more would he imagine he could do? He probably stopped when he thought he had reached the established normal pinnacle. But the whole time, his whole life, he was someone with extraordinary powers. He just didn't see it, because he didn't expect to see it. He couldn't imagine that he had extraordinary powers, even as they manifested more and more. Unlike his son, David didn't believe in extraordinary powers because the world just made more sense if he was pretty much like everyone else. The world just felt more comfortable if he wasn't special. Emma, on the other hand, is not a superhero at all. 
She's not big or muscular or trained in martial arts. She's a petite, ordinary woman whose larger, violent captor is a significant physical threat to her. It makes a great deal of sense just to do as Driver tells her to, because he's stronger and very willing to hurt her. And he's tied her up when necessary to keep her from getting away. But he's not content with physical control. He wants to break her spirit, to control her thoughts and emotions. By setting up his little experiment and hurting himself, He's put her in what she thinks is a position of choice, to either save him so that she doesn't die alone in a locked room, or let him die and hope to find the key. He then uses her decision to manipulate her emotionally, convincing her that either she secretly wants to stay with him, or that she's wasted her only chance to get away from him. We sympathize completely with her, and we don't really know what we would do if we were in that situation in real life. But this isn't real life. It's a movie. And the things that happen in it, therefore, are metaphorical, designed to make a point to us. Driver's experiment isn't about the choice he says he's given her. It's about the choice she didn't know she had. Like a really unpleasant close-up magician, he's distracted her by injuring himself by mentioning how much she needs him to be alive, and by closing a door that is usually locked. Even when she can't find a key, she doesn't think about what that implies, that he wouldn't lock himself in the cell without the key. She doesn't even try the door. Again, this is not real life. This isn't about real people being in a sincerely horrible situation with a criminal person. This isn't a judgment of anything a real person would do or think or feel in such a situation, or even a guess at what actions would be possible to take. This is a movie, and the bad guy in this movie has illustrated to Emma that the real prison, the real lock, the real key, the real limitation, is in her head. That it wouldn't really matter if he had control over her or not, because she had decided that he did. Emma decides that she doesn't have any choices or power. David decides that he's just a regular person with no special abilities. It's easy to compare these movies to real life and to say, if that were real, we would do exactly what these characters do. We wouldn't argue with the large angry nutball who's kidnapped us. We wouldn't suddenly have superpowers that make us stronger or clairvoyant or unstoppable. In fact, if we thought someone was hurting others, we would not follow them and confront them as vigilantes, but would instead call the police. But movies aren't real life. They're trying to tell us something. Comply with our kidnappers? Perfectly reasonable. Don't try to lift 200 extra pounds over our heads than we did yesterday? Very good course of action. Call the police instead of endangering your own life? Sound advice. But what about our regular, ordinary day? How many metaphorical doors do we imagine are locked because they look locked? Or because someone told us they were locked? Or because someone told us we don't have the key? How many limits do we place on ourselves because we compare ourselves to others' limits? Or to the limits others have told us we have? How many doors are already open but we don't try them? 
How much more could we be if we didn't think we couldn't? Maybe the door is locked. Maybe our limits are real. But let the door show us that. Let the limit show us that. Make the world tell us no, instead of telling it to ourselves. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.